This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Hello, my name is Dr. Bradford Bowe, and I'm a co-deputy director of the Research Institute of Irish and Scottish Studies, which is sponsoring this series of podcasts entitled 525 Years in the Pursuit of Truth, a new history of the University of Aberdeen. In this episode, my colleague, Professor Karen Friedrich, who holds a chair in early modern history at Aberdeen University, will examine the thought of Duncan Little and his influence on the legacy of medicine and mathematics at Marshall College. In doing so, she will situate Little's ideas in the intellectual currents of Northern Europe's age of confessionalization Today, I would like to direct your attention to an Aberdeen alumnus whose impact on the University of Aberdeen can be felt until this very day, not least due to the famous book collection he left to Marshall College Library at the beginning of the 17th century. I'm speaking about Duncan Little. Duncan Little was born into a burgher family in Aberdeen, a few years before King's College adopted the Protestant Reformation in 1569. In Scotland, King's College stood out. Since its very first principal, Hector Boyce, it had offered the study of medicine alongside more traditional subjects such as grammar, theology and philosophy. Young Duncan Little, whose mother was a midwife, received a humanist education first at Aberdeen Grammar and for a short period he attended King's College where medicine already piqued his curiosity under the guidance of its first Protestant principal, Alexander Arbuthnot. By the end of Arbuthnot's tenure, however, the college was in crisis, suffering from falling numbers of students. In consequence, the Earl Marshal intervened in 1582 and founded Marshall College as a new foundation for the borough and the good citizens of Aberdeen. By the time Marshall College came into existence, Little had already made his way to the continent, a journey that took him away from Scotland for the next 28 years. In 1578, he chose the way of many young Scots across the sea to Danzig or Gdańsk, Poland's Baltic port. Unlike many of his contemporaries, however, who joined the mercenary armies of Europe or sought their fortune in trade, Little followed an already established network of Scottish scholars and enrolled in the University of Frankfurt on Oder, the so-called Viadrina, to study mathematics and medicine with John Craig, who together with other fellow Scotsmen took him in to share his table. A pre-Reformation foundation, the Viadrina in Little's time, was under the influence of the curriculum reforms by Philip Melanchthon, Luther's friend and co-reformer. These reforms sparked a whole wave of new university foundations in the Protestant territories of the Holy Roman Empire, where princes competed with each other for status and influence over the religious changes they wanted to introduce to their principalities. Led by the university in Wittenberg, Luther's home university, 
Other universities that had accepted the Lutheran reforms included Marburg, 1527, Königsberg in Ducal Prussia, 1544, Jena in Saxe-Weimar, 1558, Helmstedt in the Duchy of Braunschweig-Lüneburg, 1567, and Altdorf, 1578, founded by the free imperial city of Nuremberg. Crucially, Melanchthon had succeeded to declutter the Aristotelian content of the humanist curriculum and introduced Greek and Hebrew as languages to access directly not only Holy Scripture, but also sources of classical antiquity. Short of accepting Copernicus's hypothesis on heliocentrism, followers of Melanchthon, the so-called Philippists, accepted the Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe's suggestion of a compromise between Ptolemy's geocentrism and the new theories of heliocentrism that had invigorated mathematical and astronomical scholarship. The reception of Copernicus among mathematicians, well grounded in Aristotelian natural philosophy, spread quickly, although the most radical Copernican thesis of the sun's centrality and immobility were watered down in the process by focusing on the astronomer's minor epicycles and uniform and circular motions. Melanchthon made no secret of his criticism of what he called Copernicus's intellectual immodesty. Hence, Melanchthon's reforms tried to form a synthesis of Ptolemaic, Aristotelian and Copernican theories, which followed the idea that natural history and philosophy followed divine providence, revealing to mankind God's wisdom and will, including the creation of man in God's image. Astronomical and astrological computation were accepted, while heliocentrism was too daring as it would have questioned fundamental biblical teaching in the Lutheran Church, which, which put so much emphasis on sola scriptura, for the salvation of the soul. The separation of theology as a vehicle for revealed truth from the physical explanation of cause and effect based on mathematical hypotheses soon became highly contested, but did not form part of Melanchthon's programme. The goal of humanist learning in the Protestant Reform Universities also focused on the utility and practical applicability of knowledge, which the post-Reformation princes and their universities wanted to promote for the education of a new German elite of officials, teachers and church ministers to run their political and economic programs of state building. In Frankfurt's Viadrina, where little studied, the transition from scholastic Aristotelianism and Ptolemaic ideas of the world to new approaches to science and a hybrid knowledge culture was also in full swing. While strict Gnesio-Lutherans rejected the Aristotelian corpus for theological reasons, little agreed with the more conciliatory approach of the Philippists, who sought to find a compromise with this legacy. The same was tried and tested by a whole number of mathematicians, astronomers and physicians who met up and worked with Duncan Little during his long academic peregrinatio. This humanist republic of letters was also a community of oral communication, gossip and word of mouth. As Morty Feingold has pointed out, 
which was not less important than conventional epistolary knowledge exchange. Little's mentor John Craig had studied mathematics with the famous German mathematician Paul Wittig and then taught John Napier in Edinburgh, who was as a result who also who as a result worked out a new system of logarithms. Under the combined influence of John Craig's teaching at the Viadrina and Melanchthon's reformed curriculum, mathematics became Little's favorite subject, from arithmetic, Euclidean geometry, spherical and planetary astronomy to trigonometry and computation of the calendar. Yet, mathematics was not a prestigious discipline and little money could be earned by teaching it alone. Polymathy has often been depicted as a romantic flight of free spirits across the boundaries of academic disciplines, but in most cases its adoption was of necessity the best method to pursue a career that could earn a decent living. Medicine played a crucial role here, as it could be practiced outside of academia and it paid the bills. As a result, almost every mathematician and astronomer also studied, taught and practiced medicine, including Craig, who eventually returned to Edinburgh to become James VI's personal physician. In 1582, Little returned to continue his studies in Breslau, or Wrocław, then in Habsburg, Silesia, where he met the humanist Andreas Dudit, a former bishop in Habsburg service who converted to Protestantism and sympathized with anti-Trinitarianism and the Hussite Bohemian Brethren. He also met Craig's own old teacher of mathematics, Paul Wittig, who introduced Little to the Copernican theory. It was here in Breslau that Little tried his hand at the study of medicine and philosophy, which together with law formed the so-called higher faculties. For all of these disciplines, geometry and astronomy were obligatory preparations, so that a mathematician's choice of medicine in the pre-Newtonian world was not as surprising as it might appear today. Johann Krato von Kraftheim, a friend and close colleague of Dudit and the Holy Roman Emperor's official physician in Vienna, was close to Lutheran and Calvinist circles. Like Dudit, he rejected the influence that was commonly attributed to comets on human fate, such as pandemics and miracle births. It is thanks to these contacts, in particular Wittig, that Little got hold of a rare copy of Copernicus's Commentariolus, an early outline of heliocentric theory, of which only three known copies survive today in Aberdeen, Stockholm and Vienna, while Coper Copernicus's original was lost. Little transcribed the copy he had received in Wittig's own hand and bound it together with his own copy of the second edition of Copernicus's De Revolutionibus of 1566, which he later brought back to Aberdeen as part of his library. The rich intellectual culture in Breslau were old trading routes from East Central Europe, Italy and Northern Germany intersected, also provided the links later developed through Wittig with Tycho Brahe in Denmark. When the plague threatened Breslau, Little turned to one of Germany's oldest universities in the Hanseatic city of Rostock, which had recently fallen under the influence of the Protestant Dukes of Mecklenburg. Here, 
From 1584 to 1591, he continued to hone his medical skills. Little also found several new mentors. Johannes Caselius, a literary scholar and lawyer, transferred to Helmstedt in 1589, who had a hand in Little's appointment to the Academia Julia there in 1591, and David Chytreus, a disciple of Melanchthon. Little was particularly interested in Chytreus's attempt to reconcile the chronology of the biblical world ages with calendar computation. Most important for his progress in medical studies was the Flemish physician Henry Procaeus, who directly arranged Little's invitation by Tycho Brahe to the observatory of Uraniborg on the island of Hwen. It was also in Rostock that Little first became aware of the works of the anti-Aristotelian philosopher Petrus Ramus, who, as a Protestant, had perished in the massacres of St. Bartholomew in 1572. In 1591, Duncan Little's peregrinations temporarily ended with his appointment to the chair of lower mathematics at the University of Helmstedt. Two years later, he advanced to the chair of higher mathematics and in 1601 took over the chair of medicine. The Academia Julia was a foundation of 1576 by Duke Julius of Braunschweig-Lüneburg. A year before Little's appointment, it had been taken over by Julius's son, Heinrich Julius. There is also a larger historical context to Little's Helmstedt career. While James VI of Scotland married Anne of Denmark, her sister Elizabeth became the wife of Duke Heinrich Julius. As Little's patron and benefactor in the Academia Julia, Heinrich Julius exercised his detailed governance of the institution down to the very details of academic appointments, decisions over library acquisitions, the creation of a medicinal herb garden and a hospital. The statues of the University of Rostock served as a direct model for Helmstedt, and several of its scholars, such as Chytreus and Caselius, who had promoted Little's progress in Rostock, joined the university in Helmstedt, where Little completed his doctorate in medicine in 1596 and became dean of the philosophical faculty in the same year. Little's medical career and teaching was shaped by the intense row that had broken out in academia between Galenic medicine and Paracelsian ideas, which raged at the time in universities across Europe and also reached Helmstedt. And the debate with the first holder of the medical chair in the Academia Julia, Jakob Horst, Little took a strictly Galenic perspective. The debate went beyond medical opinions and reflected a fundamental divide in epistemological positions. Paracelsian sympathy for Neoplatonic and mystic tendencies under the influence of the body of ancient writings attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, magic and astrology dominated Jakob Horst's publication in 1595. In it, he presented the story of a child allegedly born with a golden tooth at the moment of an unusual planetary constellation. He had to publish it in Leipzig because Helmstedt was renowned for its anti-Paracelsian stance. 
Even before submitting his doctoral thesis, Little started a quarrel with Horst, disputing that such a thing could have happened, and strongly supported the attempt by fellow scholars to eliminate supernatural interpretations from physical phenomena. Little's argument follows Aristotelian as well as Melanchthon's methods to assert valid medical causes and effects on the basis of a legitimate epistemology, reason and experience, which both allowed to know through differences, an approach borrowed from mathematics. Due to the uniformity of nature, if a tooth was bony by nature, he argued, it was impossible that it could have grown from gold. While this approach is very different from David Hume's attack on miracles almost 200 years later, and does not involve the idea of probability, Little asserts a strong link between a natural causa efficiens and a necessarily natural, not supernatural, causa finalis. He stresses the role of empiricism and the separation of natural phenomena from supernatural miracles, pointing the way towards a rational approach to medicine and knowledge that the Enlightenment would have well understood. The duty of the physician and every scholar, therefore, must be to use a demonstrable method based on truth, reality and experience so that an honest and ethical society could be fostered and maintained. In Little's view, Paracelsianism threatened this endeavour. The university authorities, including Duke Heinrich Julius, agreed with Little and rewarded him not only with a medical chair, but also with the position of Dean of the Philosophical Faculty and Pro-Rector of the University in 1604. Little had reached high office and earned well, practicing as a successful physician in the city of Helmstedt, mostly from his own accommodation in the city, with fellow scholars Caselius and Cornelius Martini, who ran a boarding house for visiting students. He even supported a petition to the Duke to be able to run a brewery from his house, just as Luther and Melanchthon had established beer brewing at their homes, and as the famous astronomer Jan Hevelius would do to finance the building of his observatory in Danzig in the 17th century. Without a family of his own, Little had the means to accumulate a valuable library and he attracted a good number of fellow Scotsmen, mentoring them during their academic peregrination to Helmstedt and through his networks at other Protestant universities in northern Germany. It is little surprising, then, that jealousy against him grew, fueled by the narrowing theological doctrines emanating against the Calvinist Scotsmen from among the Lutheran followers of Wittenberg, especially when Philippists lost ground after Melanchthon's demise. The first generation after the Reformation that had argued for an open and ironicist dialogue between the denominations was replaced by a more combative Lutheran orthodoxy, as the age of confessionalization was well underway. During the so-called Hoffmann quarrel, which involved the Helmstedt theologian Daniel Hoffmann, who stated that philosophers were the fathers of all heresies, Little defended the equal footing that the discipline of philosophy had received from the time of the university's foundation as a part of the higher faculties, 
Jonathan Regier has stressed the exceptionalism of Helmstedt as an institution that perfectly followed Melanchthon's humanist spirit. Yet this stance triggered a permanent rivalry with the more conservative theologians who feared for the hegemony of their discipline. Hoffmann's attack on philosophy was an expression of that battle, which continued to play out in German Protestant universities until Christian Thomasius, professor of Jus Publicum in Leipzig in 1690, sought refuge with the reformed elector of Brandenburg, who in his newly founded University of Halle gave Thomasius the freedom to lecture in German rather than in Latin, and to advocate a separation of philosophy from the domination by theology. In his own world, Hoffmann advanced a similar argument for separation, but attributed a much lower place in the ranking of disciplines to philosophy. In contrast to Melanchthon's teaching that natural philosophy mirrored the greatness of God's creation, Hoffmann called philosophy a carnal science that should not intrude in theology, where its logic might only cause confusion and heresy. In a massive counterattack on Hoffmann, the philosophical faculty led by Caselius, Martini and Little denounced Hoffmann as impious and denying universal truths. While every truth had to be demonstrated via its own disciplinary methodology, however, according to Little, Disciplines could borrow certain truths from each other without turning them into falsehoods. Truth based on common principles of reason, in other words, is stable and ethical and linked to divine power. For little, the best means to civilize mankind was through education following the Philippist curriculum, including natural philosophy, which inclined men to follow a pious and virtuous life. Only the liberal disciplines could therefore prevent a decline into barbarism and savagery. The best approach to truth and the most civilizing discipline for the Scotsman was mathematics. With his 1591 initiation lecture, Oration on the Excellency of Mathematics, Little reserved the highest praise for his favorite discipline, its antiquity, nobility and usefulness. We celebrate Little today not because he was a giant in medical science or mathematics or a world-famous astronomer. In fact, as Duncan Coburn reminded us, the National Portrait Gallery in Edinburgh, on its mosaic of remembrance of important figures of Scottish history, features John Napier and George Buchanan as representatives of 16th century Scots scholarship. Napier, however, could not have constructed his logarithm without the scholarly networks that lead back to Paul Wittich in Breslau. And Buchanan stubbornly stuck to Ptolemy's image of the universe in open mockery of Copernican theories. By including Duncan Little, the gallery could have set a pointer that the scientific revolution was in the making in Scotland because scholars such as Little acted as important transmitters in a humanist network of knowledge between Scotland and Northern Europe. Why did Little return to Aberdeen after his long career in Germany? Disillusioned about the victory of an increasingly doctrinaire Lutheran confessionalization and deeply hurt personally 
that Melanichton's approach to science and ethical principles no longer found fertile ground in Helmstedt, Little returned to Aberdeen in 1607, accompanied by his library, which he donated to the new foundation of Marshall College. His donation also included funding for a chair in mathematics and six bursaries, as well as an annual prize for an essay in Latin or Greek. The most visible memorials for Little are the obelisk, which still stands in a field near Pitmedden, where Little settled after his return to Scotland, and the brass plaque in the West Church of St Nicholas, dedicated to him by the city of Aberdeen. Little died only six years after his return, leaving little evidence of his activities during his last period of his life. The poet David Wedderburn, who died in 1646, who was master of Aberdeen Grammar School, dedicated a poem under the title Apotheosis to Duncan Little in his Musa Latina Abadonensis, in which he expresses the bounty of Little which the university gained and who from a humble origin, will reach the heavens, like aurora rising from the wave. Whilst the Academia Julia in Helmstedt closed its mind to debate between the disciplines and pushed out its Philippists, Marshall College opened its arms to Little's curriculum reforms. Giordano Bruno, on his visit to the Academia Julia in 1589, had still praised Helmstedt's resistance to Gnesio-Lutheran confessionalization. But the tide was turning in the early years of the 17th century, which increasingly saw the German principalities sliding towards religious and constitutional conflict, and ultimately the Thirty Years' War. Little's own ideas that the British Isles had been thrown back by the Norman invasion and were still on the road to recovery motivated him to help this endeavour as a patriotic act to his home city and its people. Despite his contribution to mathematics in Aberdeen, Little's opus magnum was his Ars Medica, the art of medicine, which first appeared in 1607 and appeared in several editions after his death. In a fitting introduction, the literary scholar and rhetorician Caselius presents this work to the world. It is time that Little's library, dispersed among the special collection, with its rich marginalia and annotations, should be studied again. Modern polymaths are required. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.